Hello, friends, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. And I created the U-Turn book and the podcast as a place to help you connect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I want to bring a guest on with the intention of helping you expand what's possible for you, both in your confidence, whether it's in work or love, and just in life in general. So let's get into this week's episode. My friends, today on the U-Turn podcast is one of those days where I just feel so grateful to have this show because the guests that we have been getting as we grow are so exciting and so full of knowledge. And you all have heard me talk about marriage and dating and picking the right life partner. And at 34 years old, I am more picky and more honest with myself than ever. And really excited to bring um, two brains onto the show. We have John David Mann and Anna Gabrielle Mann. This episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I've come to trust with my well-being. They have absolutely zero THC in their products. They're organically farmed, gluten-free, very minimal in sugar. And if you know me, you know that I absolutely love my sleep. And when I don't get it, I feel like my whole life, my my day, my week is thrown off. And in times of stress, I've started to take Soul CBD's sleepy gummies before bed, and I absolutely swear by them. These little gummies have put my sleepless nights behind me, and they are delicious and fruity, and they feel like a little sweet treat at the end of the day that really help me sleep well. Their unique blend of CBD, CBN, and terpenes helps you fall asleep much faster, stay asleep longer, and improves your overall quality of sleep. So this is your new bedtime best friend. I specifically love taking them when I'm traveling to get me on a new time zone and ensure that I'm sleeping. So of course, our friends over at Soul CBD have given us a discount code for 15% off your order. All you need to do is head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the code U-TURN at checkout to get your discount. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. Now let's get back to this week's episode. John is the co-author of more than 30 books, including four New York Times bestsellers and five national bestsellers, his classic 2008 parable, The Go-Giver, which was co-authored by Bob Berg, um, earned the 2017 Living Now Book Awards Evergreen Medal for its contribution to positive global change. And then we have Anna over here. She earned her degree in clinical psychology before going to serve as an educator, a therapist, a corporate trainer, speaker, a coach. And she currently coaches go-giver marriage clients and leads go-giver marriage coaches training program. Um, And so I want to ask both of them um, about this work around marriage and about choosing the right life partner, which for me has been one of the biggest choices and focuses of my 30s. I I literally have so many questions for both of you and for you, Anna. Thank you so much for being here. So happy to be here. We are so excited about this. Yeah. I mean, I know you've had so many different conversations. And one thing that we do differently over here on the U-Turn podcast is I pour my guts out and just share where I'm at and hope that it's in service to everyone listening. And so I could ask you about your background and all that, which is obviously very impressive. 
where I want to start is just saying to you, I, I, somebody proposed to me in my twenties and, um, he was a great guy and I was with him for five years and I chose not to marry him. And I was in another three-year relationship with a great guy who had some things that I chose not to marry him. And now we're great friends, which is so rare and special that we have that. Um, and I feel like there's so many people who, like we were saying before we hit the record button, don't know who they are in their 20s or maybe in their 30s or their 40s. So I'm just curious for anyone who's sitting here right now, whether they're in a relationship, married or not, and they're just thinking a lot about their love life, um, what are some things that we can impart to them or what is some wisdom that you would have or that you wish you knew before you started all of this work? You know, I think the wisdom that I I feel that most people need in their 20s and in their 30s and beyond is the understanding that no one escapes their childhood without childhood wounds. Yeah. And we carry those wounds with us into our 20s and 30s. We usually spend a great deal of energy submerging them or at least having them be unconscious because we feel like, okay, I'm out on my own now. I get to make my own choices. I don't have my mom, you know, trying to control me or I don't have my dad criticizing me or whatever it was that was there. Um, And so you feel like you've escaped and you're on your own and you've got your freedom. But there's an unconscious layer to those to those issues that remains. And if you don't get, you know, clear on what those issues are and figure those, those emotional issues out, then you will not only seek out a partner, like a seek and destroy, if you will, you'll seek out a partner who will either be the very epitome of those issues for you and raise them and, or you will become that person. So you bring the dynamic in. If your mother was exceptionally controlling and you could just never even take a breath without her trying to dominate you, then you're either going to be that person in a relationship or you're going to marry them Mm. or get involved with them. Mm. And so that's the first thing to be aware of. I mean, I'm always a great advocate of people, you know, saying, well, I don't really need therapy. I don't have anything going on, but that's not a reason not to go into therapy and actually spend some time exploring what is underneath the surface for you? Because the clearer you get about who you are, what your goals are, even coaching, I don't, it doesn't need to be therapy. Get with a life coach. Yeah. But do the work yeah. so that when you find somebody that you're really interested in, you have a, a sort of a foundation to look at who they are and decide like you did. Three years with somebody, you're very good friends now, but you realize that this was not somebody you wanted to marry. And that is where it makes all the difference. Um, and so that's that's the first piece of advice I would give. Yeah, I, I just want to jump in and say I I, tell you, I was I wish that I had done what you did, Ashley, uh, <laughs> and, and you know spent you know some number of years with this first person that I was in love with, and but not gotten married and just just done the three, four, or five years, and then said, you know what? Because if I'd done that, I'll bet we'd be great friends today, and we're not great friends because we got married and the marriage didn't work, and I didn't know who I was. Yeah, she doesn't know who she was. We we weren't stress tested as individuals yet, mm. let alone stress testing the relationship. Forget mm. that. I didn't even know who I was, let alone who we were. So yeah, I mean, I think it's fantastic that you did that for five years and then for three more years. And it's it's the kind of thing that I would. It's something that I would, I would wish for people in their twenties. You know, to it's, give it give it a chance, give it some breath. 
Yeah, well, I think about our childhoods and, and I, I, I just did the Hoffman process, which I'm sure you're both somewhat familiar. Yes. Um, yeah. And I really didn't have much on my mind going in. I didn't go in with an agenda or even an intention because right. I've done so much work on myself that it was kind of like when I got there, I realized like, damn, this is a process for this is a deep dive. And I really wish I came in with an intention, but I left with more compassion than ever for my parents And I also came out of it with this thought that, you know, most of us spend ages one to 18 at home with our parents, if not more. And it's, and what they taught me there was, it's not just about the big things that happen in your life, which I feel like in the self-help world, we think about a lot, those bigger traumas, but also the tiny little things that happen every single day day that make you who you are. And so coming out of our parents' homes, I think almost to be a kid is traumatic because it's like, we're told what to do. We're under someone else's rules. And there's probably this feeling, you know, maybe some people like their parents' rules, other people didn't, but a sense of powerlessness growing up. Sometimes I'm thinking for all of us where we are not in charge of our lives. We have to go to events with our parents that we don't want to go to or hang out with a babysitter. We don't want to be with. There's so many experiences we have that are beyond our own control. And so it's interesting because, you know, being an adult, it it almost feels to me like a new thing. Like I really left home around age 20 and it's like, wow, I only have 14 years of trying to undo 18 years of the same neural pathways being, you know, grooved into my mind. Um, and yeah, I definitely dated my mom. You know, um, the guy that I was with was very sweet, very non-confrontational, just like my mom. Then I dated my dad, someone who was emotional and all over, but really fun. And now I'm trying to choose and not just be run by this programming. So um, I know that the Go-Giver brand is, is really well established. And then you wrote the Go-Giver book about love and marriage. And you talk about five secrets to lasting love together. Um, obviously, for me, it's it's like I waver between being proud of myself and saying, oh, wow, I'm 34. I froze my eggs and I'm dating in New York and I'm meeting all these great, interesting people. I'm so proud of myself for being bold and saying no to wasn't what's not right for me. And then there's the other part of me that's like, what's wrong with me? Why haven't I found the right person? Why am I drawing this out? So I want to know the five secrets to lasting love. And I also know we only have time to get into two or three of them, um, whatever it is. So maybe we could put all five out there and then we can pick which two we can dive into unless you have a couple favorites. We definitely have three favorites that we would love to, to share. Um, and, the, and the first one, and each secret, just so you know, comes from developmental theory. And developmental theory in a nutshell is the idea that what you needed when you were a baby and as a young child, you still need today. So the the very things that we need the most, which is parents that really pay attention to us. And yes, there's 18 years of programming. And believe me, there's plenty of parents who are neglectful, plenty of parents who don't listen to their children, plenty of parents who are very controlling and very critical um, and or pushy and demanding you know, there's a lot to undo. Yeah. At the same time, compassion for your parents. I, I'm a great believer that you don't actually get to be a grown up until you're willing to forgive your parents, because believe it or not, they're going off that same conditioning from their childhood and they're doing the best they can. And that's not to give them a pass for any kind of abuse or serious neglect 
or alcoholism or things that really do hurt kids. But I, I feel like, you know, a lot of parents, you know, have an unconscious tape, just like we have unconscious tapes, which is why we get into marriages that don't work and get divorced. Mm. Um, and there's a great phrase in psych circles called the starter marriage. Uh-huh. And they, they refer to it as people who get married in their 20s, don't know themselves very well, pick that first guy that they're really having a good time with fresh out of college. And by the time they're 25 or 26, everybody's saying, hey, get married, you know. And so they do it. They, they, they push the button and, and, you know, wake up seven or eight years later realizing they've made a mistake. And, and so, you know, it's, it's tough. So the first secret is, is one of our real favorites. And it's because it's so simple that it seems kind of obvious. It's kind of like, okay, it's appreciation. And the toxic opposite of appreciation is criticism. And criticism is not only alive and well and a giant wave sweeping across America, whether you're on social media or wherever you are, there are people criticizing each other constantly. And in marriages, it's like an epidemic. Um, and it's, it can be everything from passive aggressive to subtle to direct. Um, you know, people are constantly making little niggly jokes like, oh, I don't know why you're so upset about that. I was only kidding. Um, and, and also, um, you know, saying it in ways like, you know, I just can't believe you left your socks on the bedroom floor again. I mean, what do you think I am, your mom? Mm. You know, it's like, it's just pick, 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 pick. And when you get into that neurological pattern, your brain gets locked into looking for more things that are wrong or more things that irritate you about your partner. And so the way to shift that neurological loop, and, it, it, and it's important to say, this is a cognitive behavioral approach to changing your marriage. And the research shows without question that a cognitive behavioral approach as in change the way you think and change your behavior is how you shift a marriage. It's, you know, you can spend all day long talking about it, but if you don't do the actions to changing the way you think about it and the way you express it or act on it, then nothing changes. What is marriage this? Or your, rela- or your relationship for that matter. If you're not married, it's, it's the same, you know, same principles. Okay. What does it mean to have a cognitive behavioral approach? And when you say that the first secret of these five that we're looking at right now is that the op, is it that what would be the official secret? Is it that the opposite of appreciation is criticism? Is that the secret? or The, would- the toxic opposite is, okay. is criticism. Okay. Yeah. But appreciation is something that you actually have to pay attention to what it is that you love about this person. Like you mentioned um, that one of these people was really, was more emotional, but also really fun. Yeah. And maybe the really fun part is something that now as friends, you completely appreciate about this person because you're having so much fun. Yeah. And that's important to be able to say, you know, when we hang out, I have so much fun and I really want you to know how much I appreciate that. That is just something that really, you know, means a lot to me. I mean, yeah. and I, I just love that about you. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, when you get that kind of a compliment or appreciation, if you will, mm-hmm. um, words that affirm who you are, mm-hmm. it's very powerful for people because one of the most basic drives we have in life is to be seen, heard, and understood, to be witnessed. Mm. And so that's what appreciation gives your partner. And if you do it four times a day, 
you'll be absolutely amazed at what it means to the other person and how they respond. Mm. You know, you were talking about how it, it's not just the big things that we talk about in personal development, but the, the little things that happen every day. And that is so right on the money for yeah. us and our approach. These five secrets aren't big, huge, um, you know, personality changes or developmental issues you have to struggle with and wrestle with and go to a seminar for 90 days. And they're simple, everyday things. Mm-hmm. And they address simple, everyday behaviors really acutely because we believe that it's in those things that you do every day that are so easy to take for granted, mm-hmm. to let slip under the assumption rug. They're so easy to slip with. They hold the key mm-hmm. to where the relationship heads in the long term, where it points. It's the little decisions you make every day. So the secret, so you ask, what is the secret? The secret itself is to look for things about your partner that you love. And when you see them, say so. Mm-hmm. Take a moment in the moment to say so. And and for a lot of, you know, some people that we deal with who've been together for decades, for them, it, it may feel totally awkward and foreign at first. Because there's lots of things they love about their their spouse or their partner, but it's been years since they thought about it. It's just become part of the, of the fabric, part of the background. That's the danger. Because what happens is when you like when you're first in love, you can't stop talking about how amazing this person is, right? How 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 handsome, how beautiful, how gorgeous, how smart, how funny, how great, how their sense of humor, the taste. But then we're together for a while, and we get distracted by all the other stuff that, that impinges in our lives. So we just let it slide. Well, she already knows I think she's gorgeous. He already knows I think he's funny. She already knows that her brilliance blows me away, that I can't believe how much she knows about this and this and this topic. She already knows that. I don't need to go around saying it all the time. In fact, it'd be weird if I say it all the time. No, it's not weird. It's essential. It's like lifeblood. You need that the same way a little cooing baby in a blanket needs to be told how adorable they are. That's why it's a developmental theory issue. It's, it's like a, a basic human need. Mm-hmm. So we tell people, even if it feels awkward, even if it feels kind of weird, like a muscle you've forgotten how to use, do it. Just do it. In fact, take a piece of paper when you're by yourself and write down things I love about Ashley. Mm-hmm. And then, and write down three, think of it. it. And for some people, you may need to go like on a treasure hunt and actually say, well, now, what is it? I mean, I adore Ashley. I love everything about Ashley, but but what specifically? What can I point to? Mm-hmm. Write a list of those things, mm-hmm. three or four, three, four, five, and then find the moment to say, listen, I got to talk to you for a second. No, it's not a big deal. Just I got to talk to you for a second. I just want to tell you, the way that you absorb everything about psychology that you read and you're able to put it into practice, that's just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I just love that about you. That's it. It's not a long conversation. It's a simple, and then you move on and you uh-huh. make dinner or whatever you do, you go out. Um, and here's the here, and here's the thing. And this is the other sort of the other side, the dark side of the secret. When you don't do that, when you let it slide, that creates a vacuum. And mm-hmm. what slips into the vacuum? The criticism. Yeah. Your brain starts starts looking for things to pick at. It's just human nature. You start looking for things to pick at. And the, and the criticism, the scorecard, you know, like Anna said, you didn't pick up your socks. I made dinner four times this week. It's supposed to be like even Stephen. What's happening here? Mm. The scorecard starts to grow and you start making your, making your life together in a negotiation of all the things that you find wrong with it. 
It happens to everybody. You know, we say in the book, love is a practice. And it's not an event. It's not an an ecstatic feeling that you carry on from the moment you fall in love with somebody and then you're just gloriously riding on this wave of love. Love is actually something you have to practice at. The same way if you're going to be a brilliant pianist or violinist, you have to practice every day. The same way that if you are going to, uh, you know, be accomplished at anything, at a sport, at anything that ta- that requires time and energy, even at a job or a career. You know, if you're going to be a brilliant content creator on Instagram, you have to put energy and time into it. Mm-hmm. And that's what the that's what the secrets are. These are simple habits. And the truth about the secret of appreciation is if you only did it three times, maybe four a day, it would take you either three minutes or four minutes because yeah. it takes that little time to appreciate somebody. But the impact is enormous because it swings you out of that negative loop. And that negative loop can even be things like overanalyzing your partner. Mm. And I just want to say that because I think women, and I know I am guilty of obsessively overanalyzing a situation mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like, okay, so he's not perfect, but do I really need to get on this bandwagon that he's not okay? Mm-hmm. You're saying theoretically, you're not talking about me, right? <laughs> <laughs> just Absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. And by the way, but, you know, I'm- in your 20s. That's yeah. a, that's a real common thing, you know. It's yeah. like, is he or is he the one, you know? And you spend a lot of time saying, you know, I don't really love this, I don't really love that. But the truth is, the big questions are important to analyze. Like, is he going to be a good father? Did he have a good father? Does yeah. he love his mother? Mm-hmm. Oh, speak about that for a moment. Yeah, well, that's what we're speaking about. Yeah, because men who hate their mother usually end up hating their wife. Mm. It's, mm. it's a very, very common theme that's seen in a lot of circles of therapy. People as therapists talk about it all the time. And, mm. you know, I've even known therapists when they were helping a couple get divorced and, and they'd already done, you know, 10 sessions together trying to save the marriage and it wasn't going to be saved, that they would turn to the woman and say, if you're going to marry again, there's only one condition. Don't marry a man who hates his mother because mm. you you are wearing her face over yours within mm. 10 years, within 10 years. Well, since we talk about the opposites and by the way, I don't know if I called you Anna at the beginning. I hope I called you Anna. And if I didn't, Anna, I want to ask you um, <laughs> about enmeshment because, you know, on one side, you've got <sighs> men who hate their wife. And then on the other side, I've been in a relationship where, and you're right, it's really cha- it's challenging because you want to look at the strengths and you want to be in appreciation, but you also want to look at the whole picture, the whole package, because you're trying to build a life with someone and there's these little deal breakers that can sneak in. And I would love your feedback around like, do you see anything across the board? Kind of like people, men who, you know, tend to hate their mom, tend to hate their wife. Like, do you see any other things that kind of come across the board like that? Um, But also talking just about enmeshment, because I've also seen it be a red flag for me when they love their mom so much that there's not really space for a partnership in their lives. So just curious for your feedback on that as well. 
This week's episode is brought to you in part by Modern Fertility. We're supposed to go to the OBGYN once a year for our annual checkups, but checking in with our fertility isn't usually a thing until we're somehow ready for kids. And the reality is that one out of six couples struggle with infertility when they start to create a family. It is so painful for me to watch this with my friends, and I really wanted to partner with Modern Fertility to get the word out about this. Personally, being a mom is something that I've always wanted to do, but right now I'm really focused on my career and in the process of finding the right person for me. Lately, I've really wanted to understand where my body's at so that I'm at least responsible with myself and I'm planning ahead. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way for you to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple little finger prick and you mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, learn if you have more or fewer eggs than average for your age, how you do with egg freezing or IVF, menopause timing, and other really important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means And you can also download the results to review with your doctor for the next steps. Traditional testing for this can cost over a thousand bucks, but Modern Fertility gets you that same information at a fraction of the price. So if you head to modernfertility.com slash U-turn, you can get $20 off of your test. That's Modern Fertility, M-O-D-E-R-N-F-E-R-T-I-L-I-T-Y.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to get $20 off your test. Also, if you have HSA or an FSA, you can put these dollars towards modern fertility. So if you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound information about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. And I'm so grateful that Modern Fertility has been so amazing and is sharing this $20 off with the U-Turn community on their super affordable test. When you head on over to modernfertility.com slash U-Turn, that means your test will cost $179 instead of hundreds or thousands it could cost at your doctor's office. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I think that there is enmeshment in some uh, sons with their mom. I think you really do want to pay attention to that if that's there. Healthy love for your mom, for a guy, is a wonderful thing because in the end, he's not only going to love you, and I mean adore you, especially Mm -hmm. if the relationship is solid and good, but adore you, but also adore your daughters. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most... You know, your father is the first person who shows you what a relationship with the opposite sex looks like. Mm -hmm. If he's extremely respectful of your boundaries, if he's totally fun and really adores you, that's really positive because it builds your self-esteem so powerfully. You know, that's the woman who can step into her 20s and flirt with no, you know, no issues Mm -hmm. and, and, and at the same time exactly knows where her boundaries are and Mm -hmm. has a sense of self. Because her father has really imbued her with that sense of power and that belief in her. Mm. Um, So I'll say one thing more about enmeshment because um, enmeshment can also happen in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And and there's another secret. I'm going to jump straight into it. Can you describe it just for anyone who's never heard the term enmeshment before? Sure. Enmeshment is when there's too much merging. There's too much trying to get your needs met from the relationship instead of actually being an independent individual who is actually individuated, that's the word, and that actually has a life of their own, interests of their own, creative drives of their own, and has their own thing going on. They're not leaning into you to get all their needs met. 
When somebody is enmeshed, there's a part of them that has stopped growing and they're actually trying to, you know, forgive the term, nurse off of you. Yeah. You know, they, they almost want to live their life through you. I just jump in and say that, you know, one, one telltale sign of, of over-merging of enmeshment in, in a couple is when one person can't give an opinion without checking with the other one. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. we can't, you know, and that's, that's a common thing. Oh, no, and I have a joke. I'll say, we're not codependent. Is that, that's okay to say, right, honey? Uh-huh. And that's like, that's our, that's our joke because, you know, it, it, we know people who can't actually give their own opinion until, until their husbands or their wife also weighs in and chimes in. You know, what, what do we think as a, as a, well, we is a lovely thing, but as Anna says, we're both individuals. So yeah. you're going to say something about And that same thing, that same dynamic that John's describing happens with husbands and wives who have been together a long time and they have adult kids like you and you call home with an issue and Mm -hmm. and mom and dad discuss it before they get back to you with their answer. Mm -hmm. Because because somehow they can't make, you know, one person can't say, you know, gee, honey, that sounds hard and just leave it at that, you know, and be a listener rather than a you're 34 and I need to tell you what to do. Yeah. You know, that's enmeshment at its greatest. You know, it's like, there's a, there's a, there's a time when it's important to have an adult relationship with your child. And that means that if they make a decision about birth control or anything else that you don't approve of, you keep your mouth zipped. Mm, that's powerful. And there is a lot of, I think, I like, I think one of the ways I've noticed that anxiety can manifest, especially in an era of helicopter parents is by telling them what to do, which is really just trying to control them. Like, like yes. weighing in a little too often without being asked. Um, and that's probably a, like, talk about neurological loops. That's just like a whole way of life. Someone who has a habit of constantly telling someone what's best for them. Um, is there a way, I, I know that that probably also can show up in romantic relationships you know, oh, I, oh yeah, yeah. Before totally. I there, um, what was it? What would it maybe look like if you know you are in a romantic relationship and your partner is too enmeshed with their family? Um, like one thing I've experienced in a relationship is I've had a partner where they couldn't make decisions for themselves, and it was things that would affect our relationship and our life together. But they would have to run it by their family, and it kind of felt <laughs> like I was married to well, not married, but with, you know, my partner and like three siblings and a, a parent and a dog and all these decision makers. Um, so where would you say it's time to draw the line or what is, what can it look like? Because, um, yeah, I just find this to be a really important and interesting topic that a lot of people aren't totally paying attention to. Absolutely. And you are speaking of enmeshment. You're speaking of a family that's enmeshed where, you know, decisions get tossed around among themselves and they want to, they want to all weigh in on it so that, you know, this youngest sibling doesn't make the wrong decision. And you can bet if they're doing that, that they're all weighing in on you as well. So that maybe this youngest sibling won't make a wrong decision. Yeah. And so it's, it's, um, it's hard to see because what it really means is that in the parenting from the time that this person was a young child, all the way up. There was a lot of codependence in the family. There was a lot of behavior from the parents saying, I don't trust you to make decisions on your own. And I'm not going to let you out of my grips without me weighing in on anything and everything you do, including who you date in high school, who you take to the prom and every other issue. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and those are the same kids that sometimes get their driver's license really late because the parents are like kind of controlling and not really going to give them the car. So they don't even bother getting a license till they're 18. Um, so it's, it's that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and that's enmeshment for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it then expand, extends into relationships and what, how it, how it shows up in relationships is, is like you're describing where they have to go back to their family to make decisions but it also can show up in relationships where they're really enamored with who you are in the world and they're kind of feeding off of your identity mm-hmm. and not really developing their own. Mm-hmm. And there's a point, I really believe there's a point when parents should cut off kids. I mean, financially, because parents will keep holding them financially as well. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I want to make sure that you're secure. So they'll keep giving them money and they'll keep, keep them from getting independent. Once you know your parents are not going to funnel money to you for any reason, that's when you step up and get your entire life on track because no one's going to pay your bills but you, and you have to, you have to start taking responsibility and paying attention. Mm. And so that's a really big part of letting go of enmeshment as well, is letting go of parents that are not only helicopter parents, but they're also leaning in with the finances and they're constantly taking care of you in one way or another, because that is how they stay in control. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I have a very special friend over the past 20 years who her dad was supporting her through graduate school. And she kind of got into going to school nonstop so that she couldn't be in the world because the world is a bit scary, I guess. And he passed away unexpectedly. And it was so hard to see her heartbreak. And she lost all the financial support and had, so she was, it was kind of a double hit. It was like the grief of loss and the grief of living. Like she doesn't know how to sustain herself. And so I, I hear you on this and, um, you know, kind of going back to your, your secrets, you talk about the toxic opposite of appreciation is criticism. Um, is there a healthy time to, cause I mean, there's a fine line between criticism and just giving feedback how do you navigate that line when you want to be an appreciative partner, but you also have feedback and you need to get your needs met? Like, how do you navigate that? Well, first off, getting your needs met, if you're practicing the five secrets, you're going to get your needs met because it's almost like a boomerang. It will come back to you. These five secrets are extremely powerful. So that's first. You don't have to. And, and also remember that if you're constantly looking at getting your needs met, you have reduced the relationship to a transaction. Mm. And it's not to say that you don't have needs that you'd like to get met in the relationship, but you have to give this person enough rope to hang themselves. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, practice the secrets from your side of the fence. And if there's nothing coming back your way, rather than be confrontational, I think it would be better to, to, you know, consider whether or not this is the right relationship. Can I give an example here, sweetheart? Sure. Um, that when, when we were first together, um, we, I was a chain smoker. I was not chain smoker. I was a smoker, heavy smoker, pack a day guy for a couple of decades since I was in my teens. Mm. My mom was a smoker. I wonder where it came from. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I smoked, smoked and we were together. I was still a smoker. And at a certain point in our relationship, we've been together for a couple of years. And Anna said to me one day, she said, I just got to let you know that my um, she had several relatives who died of lung cancer and she'd watched them go through this, you know, 
emphysema, shortness of breath, congestive heart, all, all kinds of, of manifestations of smoking and watched it ruin them. She said, I, I watched this and I just want you to know, I don't think I could go through that with you. And that's all she said. And it was so interesting to me because she never once said, I know, you know, that's bad for you, or you should really think about quitting, or it would be so much better for you if you would quit, or I wish you would quit, or do you really have to smoke right now? Or you just had, she never in any way said anything to try to change my behavior from the outside. She told me what her experience was. She said, I don't think that I could go through that again. And she didn't say it as a threat, Mm. like, if you don't quit, I'm out of here. And you know, Ashley, if she had said any of those things that I just went through, that whole list, if she'd said any of those things, it would have been tough on me. It would have been hard for me. Because there's a kid inside me like there is inside everybody who wants to do the opposite of what people tell them to. You tell me I shouldn't do this, and I want to tell it. You don't tell me. I want to do it. Uh, people don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be controlled by the outside because they're trying really hard to figure out how to how to direct their own lives. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what this ha- is interesting. So I quit. I quit. And the truth was, uh, not long after she said that, I said, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm hurting myself, and it's going to hurt her. And this is like... This is not what I want to do with my life. I was able to have a self-reflection because she allowed me the freedom to do that without like making it a battle between us. I mean, this just makes me want to hold you both hostage on the podcast and ask you so many questions <laughs> about addiction and just spiral out into like, we could probably come up with 12 secrets right here to other things because I'll, c- I'll come back and talk about addiction Please. any day. I not only have a huge background with addiction and trauma, uh-huh. but addiction is always an outplay of trauma. Yeah, People so, that have a traumatic background often pick up addictions and they pick up addictions as, in a, as a coping mechanism. You well, know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of men with serious porn addictions, sex addictions, you know, all kinds of, you know, working out at the gym, too much addictions, computer addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, the list goes on and on of the ways that we can be addicted. I mean, women, we shop, you know, we overspend you know, we do things that we overeat, you know, we, we have our whole own group of addictions, but there are always ways that our psyche is trying to cope with something that's much deeper and much darker. Mm. And I, I would love to do a whole hour on that. Because I would love boy, to do that with you. You know, yeah. I, it's funny you guys bring this up because, um, my, I had a fling in New York and it was three months, amazing guy, loved him for what I knew of him and spent so much time with him. And I think it, it took me a while to realize that he had an addiction. He told me he would smoke weed to go to sleep at night and me coming from California. That's like the most natural thing you can imagine is seeing someone smoke weed. But then I found out it was weed with some, um, tobacco in it and that it wasn't one every night, but three every night. And he said he was quitting, but he was smoking more than I'd ever seen him before. And unlike you, Anna, I didn't deliver the message as beautifully. And well, I did. I said, I, you know, it scares me to be with someone who they could be really going through health challenges. But yes, I said, yes. you know, I, there's no pressure here from me. I just don't see myself long term with my kids, like inhaling secondhand smoke in my house. And, you know, in a pandemic with lung stuff, like there's just so many reasons that long-term, this is going to be a thing for me, but short-term it's not. Um, and it's interesting because 
he backed up and he said, well, I need some time to think about this. And I said, okay, no problem. Um, and he goes, but I'm not addicted to things because I've stopped before. I'm like, okay, well then why do you need so much time to think about it? If you're not, you know, that into it or addicted anyway, took a couple of days to think about it. He said he would quit, um, because he wanted to as well, but that he didn't want to go do any work on why he was smoking for so many years. So it's like, <clears throat> stop the behavior, but it's like, why have you been smoking three? I guess the word for it when you have tobacco and weed is a spliff, which I didn't know until now. You're smoking and again. I really didn't know that he was smoking this much. Three spliffs a night. Um, I don't think he was getting high. I think his body was used to it. But the point being, um, it was really interesting for me to see that this addiction that he didn't want to face, he wanted to just cut out the behavior, but not look at all of the pain that drove that behavior. So even just speaking to you both for you know half hour or whatever it's been. What I'm getting is a lot of the deal breakers that I've chosen are real deal breakers, you know, because um, it's interesting to look at your first secret you shared. The toxic opposite of appreciation is criticism. And it's easy for me to look at myself or for anyone who's listening to say, shoot, I'm too critical because, yeah, appreciation is so key. And being discerning of what you can work with, and what you can't is also very key. It's almost like we forget we're looking for someone we can really build an entire life with. There's yes. such a gem of yes. a person. And when I think of my best friends, it took me years to select each and every best friend. Mm. It's not like I could get on an app and find them, which, I mean, it's amazing the, the love that people can find on apps. I love that. But when I look at my friendships, it's like, you know, my friend Amanda, it's like, oh, I, I cherry picked her in 2017. Oh, you know, Nicole, I found her in 2012. I look at those special friends. And then when you think about a romantic relationship where your needs are going to be different than what you need yeah. just from a good friend, it's yeah. such a special relationship you're looking for. And so I love the discernment that we're talking about, but also the importance of appreciation. Um, what, what's another secret that you uh, have in your five secrets for lasting love um, that we can look at? Another secret, which is the fifth secret, actually, okay. we did the first, this is the fifth. And, and just so you know, every go-giver book has five habits or five laws. And the first four are always about giving. Mm -hmm. And um, the fifth one is counterintuitive mm -hmm. because it's not about giving to somebody else. It's about giving to yourself. In the original go-giver, the fifth secret is to receive. Mm. to allow yourself to really receive because a lot of people who are codependent and or perpetual givers in to the extent that they deny their own needs and they're, they're not even yeah they're not even looking to get their needs met they just want to give in the hope that they'll get loved be good people um yeah um they are people who have a great deal of difficulty receiving you give them a compliment even and they'll be like oh no 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 i don't yeah, my hair doesn't look good today you know, whatever it was. But um, the fifth secret is, is to grow. Mm. And since we were talking so much about enmeshment and how enmeshment happens in families, enmeshment happens in families when they have nothing better to do. And, <laughs> and I mean that in the best sense of the word, that people who are consumed with what's going on with the other person are not in any way engaged with their own life, their own directions their own creativity, their mm -hmm. own growth. Mm -hmm. And so the fifth secret is to grow. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that even if you find the most perfect partner, 
you better darn remember and realize that if you don't keep growing, you know, you're two individuals. And we, we like to say that there's two individuals that come together. And when they come together, the two circles over intersect. Mm-hmm. And that space that's created, that, that, which is your energy that you bring together, is the relationship itself. Mm. We call it the us. Mm. So there's you, there's me, and there's the us. And if you're not practicing the secrets and you're just floating through life, you're sort of starving the us because mm. you're not giving it the attention and time it needs. Mm. If you're practicing the secrets, then you're actively taking time every day to feed the us. Mm. With grow, it's critical and important that you keep growing. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be a splashy, amazing career, but it also could be painting, photography, cooking, like maybe meditation. Cook meditation. Maybe you've learned to cook Thai food and Chinese food and Indian food, and you're really good at all three. And you also can put a mean burger on the table. But what I'm trying to say is that you're really creative. It's what I call the Renaissance woman or the Renaissance man. During the Renaissance, you know, people became good at poetry and needlepoint. (laughs) You know, they had, you know, 10 different creative arts that they were engaged in because that's how they kept themselves intrigued and alive and moving forward. There is life beyond television. There's life beyond social media. And the more you engage yourself, in the things that are really rich and important to you, the the creative avenues that just wake you up in the night going, ah, I can't wait to paint that painting or to get into my dark room to work on that photograph. Um, Those are the things that give you something to bring back to the relationship as time goes on, because it makes you a richer and more interesting person. I love that. And the person and, that's not doing that, I'm sorry, John, go ahead. It's okay. I was just going to say, and here's, and here's a red flag, you talk about the red flags in a, yeah. in a potential relationship. If your partner, if the other person is threatened by the your creative growth, your expression, the things that you're doing that aren't necessarily the same as he's doing, because you may not have the same interests all, you know, they may not overlap in every way. If that person is threatened by or tries to tamp down or control your growth, Mm-hmm. or if they show no interest, like, I'm going to tell you about this cool thing I'm studying. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't really interest me. But there might be a problem there. That could be yeah. a problem. Well, do you know what's so interesting about that is there's many ways to grow. And this makes a lot of sense because if you make any investment, you want it to grow. If you go invest in the stock market, it's kind of a bummer. If it just stays the same amount, you're actually losing money. It's the same with a human being, right? You're, you're choosing someone to build your life with. Obviously, yeah. want to return on that investment of your time, love, energy. Um, in in a way, it's kind of like we have we want unconditional love, but there's still c- conditions to loving someone and showing up for them and meeting them. Um, but I, I find it really interesting what you're sharing because one way that I like to go grow is to travel. And I've been in relationships where you know I understand I can't just pick up and go for three months if I want an intimate partnership with someone. But there was a time where I was in a relationship where I kind of felt like, you know, and I've had really good, beautiful partners and, you know, they would struggle with, oh, you know, can you go for, you know, five days instead of 10? And there were Mm. things that 
I felt like, oh no, I, I want to be free. I, I want to do my thing. I, I, I get alive when I do this, or I want to spend time with that group of people that I'm going with, or, you, you know, bringing more me to the relationship. And those were the things that were deal breakers for me. So I just want to point out to anyone listening, because I mean, growth can look so different. And I don't know if I'm picking up on an accurate example of what you're saying, John, but that would be my experience was like, oh, my travel was growth. And my partner always wanted to shorten the window of time I was traveling. Yeah. And I think that's a huge uh, flag because it not only is you don't get to grow, um, but also I I need to feel in control. Yes. Yes. Because if they need you so badly that they're not going to make it after five days, I'm sorry, but you know, individuated people, who, can, who really have their own individual lives. You know, John and I have been together. I used to work in Singapore mm-hmm. and I would fly. Our first wedding I, anniversary. We were yeah, on the opposite side of wedding, the Yeah, <laughs> first wedding anniversary, I was in Singapore and we, we had a, a, a Zoom toast. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just too funny because, um, you know, it, it, it's like, honestly, we've gone apart from each other for a month at a time. And it was just because we were both in like career Stuff drives that st- yeah. something had to had to happen. You know, at one point he was on a crunch deadline for a book and we have a home in Florida. We also have one in Massachusetts. I said, get to Massachusetts and get out of here because you need to focus. And so he did. He left for a month. You know, so it's like those are the things that in the service of the relationship, you're like, you know, he what he should have been saying to you was, wow, babe, have a great time. Yeah. Yeah. But instead he was threatened. Like you were going to spend time with other people. Gee, maybe she'll fall in love with someone else or whatever his threatened feelings were. Yeah. But you know, anybody who can't survive without you for five days, whoa, there's a problem there. Right. Well, and you know, also on the topic of growth, um, I don't know why this gets me thinking about this, but I'm thinking a lot about first dates, um, or even just dating and getting to know someone, I'm a growth driven person. I have a lot of, I like to think, I hope I have a lot of depth to the way, you know, I I try to work on myself and question things and I have a lot of depth in my friendships. And so for me dating, like, you know, the typical advice I hear is like the first date is just to have fun and be light. And I get that, you know, but I want to ask real questions and get to know someone. And I don't really care if they're a stranger, if I'm going to give them an hour or two of my life. I really, I don't want to talk about the weather. So Our first date was so intense and it was, really? it was, it was intense purely in the area of intellectual investigation. I mean, we had a really right. deep conversation, you know, and, and right from that first moment and we weren't lovers. It wasn't romantic. We were actually business colleagues for, for a long time before we, we realized that we were engulfed in flames, but, um, that first conversation was just so intriguing, so yeah. fascinating. It was like, oh, I want to talk to this person some more. Right. So right. yeah, that 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 should be okay. And I think that's important to to, to, to if that's important to you to have that reflected back to you. You know, way back I do at the same time. I think it's important. Um, I think that um, that men as a, as a group have often been controlled and dominated by moms mm. who really want to keep their thumb on their son. And, mm-hmm. and I think that there is, um, there is a narrative in our society that women who come on strong and ask a lot of questions that you feel like you're getting pinned down. Yeah. And I think that if you can let the first date, you know, ask questions for sure, 
but yeah. let it have enough flow so that he doesn't feel like he's just being grilled. Yeah. Um, that I don't I, do. I understand yeah. the thing about grilling someone. I feel like there's a lot of fear when you're grilling someone, a lot of scarcity. Like I need to figure out if this person's right and get out of here. I feel like my come from is like, oh, I want to know you. Oh, you're divorced. Like how long? Oh, what did you learn from that? You know, these are very basic questions for me. And I just want to, I guess, point that out because I think there's probably some people listening who either they're in a partnership or they're out there dating and maybe they're thinking I'm too much or I'm not enough or there's something wrong with me because I'm, you know, going too deep or I, you know, and it's like, we're all just looking for a match and, and just remembering that, um, and kind of going back to the secret of allowing yourself to receive is growing a part of that secret or is that something separate? Well, the, the secret to receive is actually in the original Go-Giver book. Okay. The fifth, they're, that's they're the book. secret in, in the first book. This book, this, the fifth secret is, is to grow. Mm -hmm. And it's like, here you are giving, giving, giving to the other person. But now it's like you're giving to yourself. Because, mm. because the, real, the truth of the secret reads that, you know, give yourself at least an hour a day of nourishing yourself with whatever it is that drives you whether it's a creative function going for long walks maybe you're run you're you're getting ready for a marathon and you really want to get out there for an hour every day and run you know carving the time to give yourself something that's just for you mm, i love that and yep. i feel like it's so underrated to make yourself the most interesting person to yourself like it's always interesting when people say like oh you're so interesting. I'm like, really? Like, I'm just following, I'm just a yes person to my life. You know, like I just say yes to life for me. And I think we've been taught in a lot of situations not to say yes to ourselves or to live in restraint. Um, so when you talk about growing, I, I love that we kind of covered, there's so many different ways of growing. Like my growth looked like wanting to go on a 10 day trip with a friend and feeling stifled that I needed to make it five or, you know, whatever. So what's another secret that um, you love talking about, I mean, I, I could just talk to you all day about these, but just curious if there's another one that we can share before we go to it. I want to let you know that the opposite of grow is stagnation. Mm. The toxic opposite behavior is stagnating mm. and stagnating is when, you know, I mean, and people can stagnate when they're depressed, you know, like I I've known people that stagnated for four to six months. They were not somebody who would stagnate typically, but they had a miscarriage they were feeling really punk and blue. They maybe needed to ha have an antidepressant or something to give them a boost at that moment. Um, but instead they sat in front of the TV and gained 10 pounds eating bonbons, you know, eating whatever they felt like eating, you know, ordering pizza in or whatever, but they just kind of let themselves go, let themselves slide into a hole and stagnated for a few months. And then when they came out and started to function again, they got right back in the place of growing and of expressing themselves and getting out in the world. So it wasn't like it was a, a, a long-term thing, but there are a lot of people who will, instead of growing themselves, they will constantly lean into the relationship and try to get you to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. This is a form of stagnation. And a lot of codependent behaviors come from people who are stagnating in their own life. And so they're trying to control you because mm -hmm. that's the only thing they can control. Mm -hmm. And they don't want you to go anywhere or do anything, or step out of their comfort zone. Well, you so a, that's a big you, one. You touched on that earlier. I can't remember which one of you had mentioned something to the extent that people focus on other people as a way to avoid themselves. 
you know, it's like, you can see a lot of people who, you know, they want to be the fixer. They want to rescue people. It makes them feel worthy. It makes them feel valuable. I've been that person. It's been years since I identified with that, but that was something I had to work through. And, um, it wasn't until I looked in the mirror and was like, why am I trying to fix John Doe and, you know, Tom Schmom? And instead it's time for me to work on me. Um, and I have a dear friend who really struggled in a relationship. Um, her partner was going through some, some challenges with his mental health. And when he was feeling gloomy, it really impacted her. And, um, she has just had this radical growth where instead of trying to teach him how to not feel, be so gloomy, she's just working on staying in her own body and not letting his gloom become her gloom. And so he's the same, but she's changed and they're so happy together. And it's been really amazing to, um, see someone take their power in that way. Um, and it's interesting. Also, you talk about stagnation. I feel like stagnation can be very sneaky because nobody wants to. And that's like probably the number one thing people fear with commitment is like, you know, I love watching certain TV stations, but I don't want to watch the whole channel the rest of my life. And that can be what marriage feels like for people. Like, do you like TV? Pick one station, you know, like maybe that's how people (laughs) feel about it. Um, And so it's like, you know, investing in someone where, you know, in your heart, you're not just with someone who is a career expert with the U-Turn podcast, but also, you know, maybe by 40, they're going to be a painter and 45, they're going to be a poet and 50, they're going to be a meditator. And you're just investing in a journey with someone, which is amazing. Is there a way for someone to know, um, or ask questions that help them really see who someone is in that way? I have a thought. Yeah. First of all, first off, there's a line in our book that says every individual is an unexplored continent. Yeah. And I think that's wow. true of actually every human on earth. Uh, every, every one of us isn't just the thing that hangs on our door as our label and our occupation. Um, though not all of us know it, not all of us are aware of it. And I think one answer to your question is how interested is the person or how willing is the person, how interested is the person in asking themselves what makes me tick? Some people don't don't self-examine, or they haven't so far gotten the the uh, the, the bug of self-examination. And I think that the willingness to look at myself. You, know, you talked about earlier about how the, the rules that your parents have, you know, rules in the house. Those are often unspoken. Right. We often we often grow up with these rules, and we don't even know what they are because they were never actually put in words. But we, we, we've got them. We, we just don't even know we have them. They're like un, unobserved behavior. Um, you know, you talk about the, the unexplored life or the unexamined life. I think people who are who have an interest in digging under the surface and saying, what makes you tick? What are my interests? Where, you know, what what are some other dimensions of myself that I haven't explored yet? That person is going to go and explore that continent in their lives. And that's fantastic. Um, but there has to be a basic willingness yeah. To, to, yeah. To, to say, you know, I'm interested in, in, in looking at life and looking at myself and looking at things. Yeah. And, and also there's a lot of facets to life. So are they paying attention to all those facets? And, mm-hmm. and by that, I mean, some of the important conversations that I think need to go down before marriages happen are mm-hmm. how do you both feel about money and what's the long-term plan? Mm-hmm. And is there a long-term plan? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you definitely want to pay attention to whether or not this is somebody when they lose their job, they're going to sit on the couch and pout for two months before they start looking again. And right. in the meantime, in the meantime, you're the breadwinner and or 
um, you know, do they have, um, do they have feelings about their spirituality? Mm-hmm. You know, are you on different pages there? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a tough, it's tough to wake up 10 years in and realize that you want to take your children to synagogue or to church and they want nothing to do with it. Right. And now all of a sudden you're in a split, you're in a divide and the kids are, you know, in the middle. Yeah. Um, and then, so money, um, spirituality and religion, how do you feel about sex? And, and I mean that in the most blanket yeah. terms, I mean, it's usually awesome in the early days. Um, but you know, is this person going to be happy with a couple times a week, or is this going to be somebody who's driven for a lot more? And after you've had a baby, they're not going to understand. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just some of, you know, there's just so many different levels to the things that are important to at least see whether or not this person thinks outside of their immediate box mm-hmm. to what their long-term vision for where they're headed is. Um, you know, we have a son who, you know, I mean, he's, he's got a terrific job. He just got an, got a, a, a raise and got an advancement and, but he's already investing. He's like totally, totally saving, you know, mm-hmm. there's a child on the way, you know, there's a long-term plan for like three, four years out from now you know, one move and then a second move after that to the place they really want to be. Um, you know, they're stepping stones. They've got stuff figured out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you see that in an individual and, and when we talk to them, I heard her say, okay, you know, I know this is your thing and I'm all for that. You be you. That's what she said. She said, you be you, which I thought was so terrific yeah. because she was allowing him to have an interest that she didn't have. And yet it was like something he's really into. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that, you know, if somebody's got that diversity, if you will, Mm -hmm. of looking at their whole life and they've got sort of a plan and they're not going day to day just to their job and then back home to sit down and watch Netflix, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that there's some bigger drive going on. I think those are important things to look for because otherwise you could be narrowing yourself into a partner who's not going to grow is mm-hmm. going to want to get in a channel and just stay there and maybe doesn't have a financial plan or a bigger dream. I mean, I always tell women that I'm coaching and, and working with individually, um, look for somebody who's ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Because ambition can be a wonderful thing at the same time. It also can be destructive if that's all they have is ambition and they, and they don't have that personal ability to connect um, you know, so there's just a lot of facets to look at. There are. And I, and I feel like the more we talk, the more clear I'm looking back in my own history, thinking, you know, these things that I decided were deal breakers for me were, and I'm glad that I honored them. And I find like in life, it's like, is it really about finding the right thing? Or is it just about being, making sure you say no to the wrong thing for you more swiftly so that you have space for these right things to come in and for you to grow and for you to, I'm guessing someone can read this book, whether they're in a relationship or not. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Exactly. Um, And here's what I want to say, by the way, about finding the right person, the the imperative, right? The urgency of finding the right person by age 34 and a half or whatever it is. (laughs) Um, First first of all, we both found the person that we just adore and who fits us like a glove, At but 40. not till we were, not till we were 40. So, um, 
But the thing I want to say is we frequently will tell someone, you know, the, the trick to finding the person is don't look for the person. Look for yourself. Be yeah. the right person. Focus on what you need to do to be you. Focus on where you need to grow. The right person will find you. It's like, how do you go find the right person? My observation is most of the time you don't. They just drop into your life like an apple off the tree that just bops you in the head. From, you know, yeah. They come out of left field when you least expected it. I mean, when, when Anna and I fell in love, neither of us was expecting it. And, and that's, you know, that is frequently the case. All the best things in my life have mm -hmm. happened not as a result of my plan. They've right. come at me from, from the side, you know, from, from my field of blindness. So just focus on, on who you are and developing the life that really fulfills you yeah. and, and you know, being the person that you want to be and stay open to, to possibility mm -hmm. because the person will find you. That's the miracle of life. It's like every it day is. is a new day and it's someday, one day, if anyone looks at their life right now, there was one day that they did the same old things, but something magical and different happened. Someone they met that changed their life. I met my very best friend, um, my, my sole friend that I talk to every day uh, outside a nightclub we both couldn't get in, in Los Angeles. And <laughs> the amount of ways my life has changed and shout out to you, Nicole, now Pavar. Um, you know, she's a therapist. I mean, the, the amount of ways that my life has changed from this woman, it's, it's endless. And so it's like, being open to the magic of life. And, and I think sometimes that means in a society with you looking down at your phone, like look up, just be available, just be available for people and for things. Um, okay. So I have to ask you other than these two secrets we've talked about, if there was one thing someone could take from your book that would make a difference in their marriage, in their relationships, in their lives, what is your one favorite piece of advice or thing that you would want to share each of you? Go first. No, okay. Uh, well, the thing that I would share, and this is what I thought Anna would jump in and share, but that's okay, I'll share it, is um, in a relationship, one person can completely shift the tone of the relationship in such a way that the whole relationship changes. This is like what you mentioned about, about, yeah. about your, your friend. Um, we often have a situation where someone says, you know, I, I'm loving your book, but I, I don't know, I can't get my husband to read it, or I can't get my wife to read it, or do they have to read it for it to work? No, they don't have to read it necessarily for it to work. It's frequently that way. Couples are not typically in exactly the same place at the exactly the same time, because we're all different humans. Right. One person may be more taking the initiative to look for new dimensions in their relationship or look for ways of, of shifting it and making it feel fresher or newer or more open or more positive. That's okay. When Anna does therapy, she doesn't do couples therapy anymore. She doesn't get two people in a room. She gets one person in a room. She mm -hmm. works on one person at a time. Because it, this, the, the way that when you go to, a, to change your, your marriage, to work on your marriage, the way you work on your marriage or your relationship is you work on yourself. That's how you change it. Is your work on yourself. If you try to work on the other person, you are going in the wrong direction, baby. <laughs> you are not going to make it better. You're only going to make it worse. Yeah. It's like trying to make a mud puddle clear by wishing it with your by swishing it with your fingers. It just gets yeah. more messy. And yeah. ultimately, that's control. And and actually, yeah. the secret that we didn't talk about has its opposite is control. Mm. And and that was the third one we were going toward. And um, it is a hard secret to to discuss in just a moment or two. So I don't even want to try to get into it, but to pay attention to that place in you that wants to control, because I think that, um, you know, and I, I think this is really common for women, but it's also common for men. 
But women, you know, there's so many ways that you can get hurt in the world. You know, you can be assaulted. I mean, you can just, you know, how many ways can I feel out of control? Let me count the ways. Um, you know, so I think that um, feeling out of control is something that we all experience in spades in our society. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's competitive and tough in the job market. It's it's you know, it, there's just so many ways that you know whether it's getting into colleges or or um, competing in the world, if you will, in so many different ways. It's it's a tough world out there, and so I think that um, you know the more that you can stay aware of the part of you that wants to control things, um, mm -hmm. that that's uh, an important thing to see because people will try to control you, but, you know, try to let the relationship flow, try to keep the secrets moving forward and keep your control issues to yourself if you can, um, because they, when they ride over other people, they really do change the tone of the behavior in a very negative way. Um, and so that would be, I guess, my last word, which is, Love you that. know, go with the flow of what's happening, but be, be self-examining. That doesn't mean that you're, you're going to just let bad behavior go by or that you're going to, you know, be a doormat for what's happening. Make up your own mind about whether or not this is right for you, mm. but, but observe behavior. I, I always love to share with people that the more you try to process behavior, the more you're trying to control it. And the more you're trying to sort of twist the other person into being what you want them to be and giving you back what you want them to give you. Um, it's better to just let the relationship run long enough to see how do they respond to you? How, how do they interact? How wow. do they bring themselves to the relationship? Because you're going to find out really quickly whether or not it works for you. Wow. That was so powerful. What you said, the more you try to process the behavior, the more you're trying to control it. So would that mean like there's an issue that, you know, Sally has with John and she keeps bringing it up and trying to process it with him, but really what she's trying to do is control it and change it. Yeah. She's trying to really just get John to perform the way she wants him to. Got it. Interesting. And, and unfortunately that will make him back up like the moon dance. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately that is what drives a big wedge in intimacy between couples, especially couples that have been together five to seven to eight years where maybe the sex is still good, but it's backing off. Because yeah. intimacy is backing off because one or the other person is got these, you know, is over processing, overthinking and using control as an avenue of not allowing the other person to be who they are, the way they are. Mm, I, you know, I love everything you're sharing and, and it brings me kind of to like, if I wrote a marriage book, which let's hope I don't, because I'm not <laughs> qualified for that. I give myself a lot of pats on the back. This is not. The one, but I would say my, my secret that I've learned that has helped me the most is probably if someone wants to show up for you, they will, you know, yes. it's like, yes, they will, and you don't have to figure out what happened or why they disappeared or why they didn't give you the thing you asked for or that you needed. It's like, if they want to, they will. And you want to be with someone who wants to. Right. Yes. So, yes. You do. Right. It's and just if you practice the secrets, believe me, they will want to because yeah. the five secrets are so powerful that anyone who actually takes them apart and actually makes them into habits, and we're talking minutes a day, makes them into habits in their relationship, he or she will come back at you like a boomerang with things that you would never expect. I mean, I've had couples that were married for 20 years and their marriages were really, really like struggling. Roommates. 
And one person practiced the secrets. And all of a sudden, literally two weeks in, her husband brought home roses one night. And she was like, no, you don't understand. I haven't gotten roses in 15 years. Wow. Not even for Valentine's Day. The guy doesn't bring me flowers. And he he shows up with these roses. He's kind of stumbling on himself. And he says to her, well, I don't know. You've just been such a doll lately. I wanted to do something nice for you. Mm. Now, he didn't even know what she was doing. He just knew something was different because she was telling him the ways that she appreciated him. She was giving him to him in a variety of different ways. Beautiful. I love that when you can inspire someone to show up for you versus tell yes. them to do it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously both of you are welcome back on the show anytime. Um, Anna, let's talk about addiction and do an episode on that at some yes. point. And I would love for your team to reach out to us to schedule that. Yes. And where can everyone find both of you keep learning from you? Um, obviously everyone, if you haven't checked out the Go-Giver Marriage book, which they have so much um, to offer, obviously, um, I will be rereading it. And um, yeah, thank you for your time. Tell us where we can find you. We have a website, which is where the book is and where you can find us and everything we're doing. Anna's coaching, personal coaching, our programs. We do a Zoom program um, once a month. And we have a coaches training program where we teach, we train coaches to coach the go-giver marriage work with individuals as as a practice. Um, All that is on our site, which is gogivermarriage.com. All one word, no hyphens, gogivermarriage.com. You can reach us there if you hit the contact button and write to us. It's us who gets it. There's no staff who reads it. It's just us. And we're also on all the social channels with our full names, John David Mann and Anna Gabriel Mann. And so um, any, you know, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, on, on, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere. Mm. Thank you again for coming on the show. It's been really fun to to talk about these topics and it I hope it was for you here. Yeah. It has been a blast. You are such a good interviewer. It's it's been such a lively discussion. I enjoyed every minute of it and I look forward to coming back. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week.